Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. All right, well, it is good to be back with you all and back in our series on biblical ethics. I'm sad to say we only have about two weeks left in this series. It's been a good ride so far. And the two topics that we have left and that I want to cover in our remaining time is one on, you could say, racism or critical race theory, social justice, all that is one topic, and then drugs and alcohol. And the plan tonight was to do the message on the racism and critical race theory. But then I realized the date today. And what is the date today? How do you guys, how do you guys know that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is 420, right? Yes. Yeah, so I felt it was obviously a perfect day to talk about drugs and alcohol. And some of you public school kids might be thinking, how does Brother Matthew know about that? Some of you homeschool kids may be thinking, what? What, are, what is he talking about? Don't worry. I, I mentioned it to Krista today. She had no idea what uh, the significance of 420 either. She was a homeschooler, you know, all the way through. So, oh, you do? Okay. Okay. So times have changed. So, Krista, you're just really behind the, the eight ball, I guess. But uh, it is 420. And so it is a good day. Also, and okay, full disclaimer. One of the reasons is because I wanted more time to prepare on the social justice topic, and so that's one of the reasons I switched, but it just so happened to fall on 420. So, hey, great occasion to talk about this topic. So we are going to talk about drugs and alcohol tonight, and this is an important topic and really a difficult topic because... Quite frankly, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot. You won't find a passage, for example, in Scripture that says, thou shall not do heroin, or thou shall not do crack cocaine, or, or whatever drug you want to name. There are some references to the effects of drugs, which we'll talk about tonight, but it is one of those issues that is not always black and white in Scripture. And it is one of those issues that you will encounter Many of you have already encountered it in your school, especially if you go to college. It will be a fixture of the culture, drinking and some drugs, and you will likely encounter questions or maybe even questions within yourself about, is it okay for a Christian to ever do these things? Is, is recreational marijuana, is recreational drinking, are those things okay? How do we decide? Now, there are many different ways we could approach this topic, and there are some great sermons out there if you're interested on this topic, especially the topic of drinking, and these sermons go into tremendous detail about all of the issues related to that and also historical realities of that. But for tonight, how I figured we could approach this is by laying out principles that will help us determine whether it is acceptable to use drugs or alcohol. So rather than focusing on necessarily one particular type of drug or making the message all about alcohol, we're going to look at four principles that should help us navigate this topic in general. So that whether it is alcohol or marijuana or another drug, 
by applying these four principles that we're going to go through tonight, you should hopefully be able to make a wise and godly decision. So, four principles governing the use of alcohol and drugs. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Here's the first principle. It is sinful for Christians to unnecessarily alter their mental state. Principle one, what do I mean by that? If you're in your scripture or in your Bible, whether on your phone or in your physical Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, is the passage that we will look at for this principle. Ephesians 5, 15 to 18. And we'll start here in verse 15. And God, through Paul, says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And of course, that's in reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 18 here is where our focus is. Verse 18. And as we examine this verse, we are, and I'll just say this, we're going to need to make a correction to the translation. I normally don't like doing this because your English translations are really good translations and are really trustworthy translations, but... Sometimes there are some differences that do matter, and as Christian scholarship grows in its understanding of Greek and Hebrew, and we are growing in our understanding of that, there are instances where improvements can be made. All right, okay, so we'll just acknowledge that. But So as we examine this verse, I'll provide the better translation when, when necessary. But let's first look at the first part of verse 18, back in your Bible. And it says this, do not be made drunk with wine. Okay, that part's okay. That's exactly what it means. Do not be made drunk with wine. Now, here's the correction. Here's what the Greek says. In which is dissipation. In which. Or we could translate or understand dissipation as debauchery. Okay, recklessness, recluse living that incorporates all of the the sensuality and everything with this kind of, kind of living. So, do not be made drunk with wine in which is dissipation. And we'll see why that's important in a moment. But the main command here, okay, the main command is not to be made drunk. That's the main command. And why this difference in translation is important is because drunkenness here is being portrayed as a domain or a realm of influence or control. Think of it like a king's domain or a king's realm of the land. And, and we see that because of the, of the phrase there, in which is dissipation, and that's referring to the drunkenness. So the drunkenness is being referred to and portrayed as a realm or a domain, and the wine is being portrayed as the instrument which puts you into that domain. So if we were to summarize it, we could, we could phrase it like this, do not be made drunk by wine because in the domain of drunkenness is debauchery. And experience makes this point clear. Now, I'm not going to assume that uh, you all have experience with this, but I can say this, that when people reach a certain level of intoxication or drunkenness, 
things get out of control quick. Emotions get out of control. There's fights. People start becoming very, you know, frisky. We'll put it that way. Uh, they start to act very foolish. And, and if you've been around these kind of environments or drinking environments, you'll see this, okay? So full disclosure, most of you know I became a Christian at 22. And not that I ever had a, a, a you know, dependence on alcohol, but in my unsaved non-Christian days, I have been to bars and I have been to parties where drinking is a major element of that party. And what you typically see is that in the early hours of the night, or of the party when people are into their first few drinks, okay, time is great, right? You know, inhibitions are lowering a little bit. People are happy. They're, they're, they're starting to become, you know, free. And everyone's having fun. But then you start getting towards midnight. Now people are in their multiple drinks. And very quickly, the fun turns into drama. And now there's a girl crying over there. There's two guys that want to punch each other over there. Someone's jumping over the fence and cops are getting called and all right, I'm guessing by the laugh, some of you may already, may already know this firsthand, but this is true. So when, we, when, Paul, when God through Paul says that in the domain of drunkenness is debauchery, that is relatively self-explanatory. But now let's look at the second part of this verse. And here's how we could translate this, and really the better translation is, instead, be filled in the Spirit. Not be filled by the Spirit, be filled in the Spirit. And similar to the first part of this verse here, in the second part, the Holy Spirit is now being portrayed as another domain of influence or control. That's why it, it, it says in the Spirit. And what God is saying through Paul is that instead of placing your life in the domain of drunk, drunkenness, through wine or any alcoholic beverage, place your life in the domain of the Holy Spirit and be filled there. Be filled in the Holy Spirit. Now the question that comes is, okay, what does it look like to be filled in the, the Holy Spirit? Well, the simple answer is it looks like a life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then you might think, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Galatians chapter 5, if you're, if you're there in your Bible, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, we have listed the fruit of the Spirit. And really, we could say this is what life controlled by the Spirit in the domain of the Spirit looks like. This is what the characteristics of that life. And here in Galatians 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a big one. Against such things there is no law. And here these character qualities is the or are the evidence of a spirit-controlled life. And it's set in contrast to the deeds of the sinful flesh, which are outlined in verses 19 through 21. By the way, drunkenness is one of those deeds. So fruit of the Spirit, a life controlled by the Spirit, is set in contrast to a life of drunkenness and sensuality and debauchery and everything that we've been talking about so far. So to summarize, thinking back to Ephesians 5.18, here's the main idea. Do not place yourself in the domain and in the control of drunkenness, in which is all sorts of sin and debauchery, 
Instead, place your life in the domain of the Holy Spirit and let him control your life, which results in all the godly fruit and spiritual fruit that we just read. Now, before we move to the next principle, I do want to say this. I recognize that Ephesians 5.18 is specifically addressing drunkenness, right? So, okay, drunkenness is established, altering your mental status through wine. We've established this sinful for all the reasons we just listed. However, it would be valid to apply this principle to any forms of altered mental status that is unnecessary. And the reason I say unnecessary is because, or I say absolutely necessary, because let's say you're going to have surgery. You want drugs that are going to alter your mental status. Okay, you do not want to be awake with certain surgeries. Okay, so in situations like that, of course, it is permissible and even wise Okay, because if you don't, if you're not altered and someone's trying to do heart surgery on you and you're like, you know, moving and you know, you're gonna die, right? So you do need, in certain circumstances, the assistance of drugs to alter your mental status. We can say that, okay? And that's why I'm making that qualification of absolutely necessary. But it is fair to say that all other occasions of altered mental status is sinful. And this even applies to marijuana. Now, marijuana, uh, the high of marijuana is going to look different than drunkenness. And a drinking party late into the night is probably going to look different than a weed party or smoking weed party way late into the night, right? Okay, and that's fair. And and, and so maybe you could say, oh, well, people that are high on marijuana, they're just chill. They're not reckless. They're not getting into trouble. Whatever you may say. Well, let let me put this to you. Or maybe let, let me ask you this. Do you know a person who is constantly getting high from weed, who is also serving God faithfully in the church, growing in their knowledge of God, growing in their faith, working diligently in school, in their places of work, honoring God with their day-to-day life? Or do you know such a person who exemplifies a sober-minded life? And let me finish this principle with one passage in 1 Peter 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, to make this point. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And the point that, Paul, that Peter makes throughout his letter is that the time of the end is near. And every day that we live, we are closer to the end than we were yesterday. Christ is coming back in judgment. Satan is active. He's on the prowl. He's looking for people to devour. And as a result of that, we need to be sober-minded in our day-to-day lives. We cannot be looking for an escape or looking for a good time through alcohol or marijuana and ignoring the fact that the time is short. And we need to be wise with how we live our lives and how we carry out our days. And we need to be growing in the spirit. So that's principle number one. Principle number two. It is sinful for a Christian to unnecessarily and intentionally subject their body to harm or to degrade their body. For the proof or for the example of this principle, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
verses 15 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 20. And here God speaks through Paul again, and he says to the Corinthian church in verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, The two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man, man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a the price, therefore glorify God in your body." Now, in this passage, the primary context that he's referencing, right, is sexual immorality, okay? We understand that. But there is a guiding principle in this passage that you see in verse 20, and that is this, you need to glorify God with your body. That's the guiding and ultimate principle in this passage. And at the end of the day, and here's, here's the point that God through Paul is making, we have to understand as Christians, and even as non-Christians, but especially as Christians, that our body is not our own. We, if you are a Christian, you have been bought with the price, and that price is the blood of Christ. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ, and you are now unified to Christ through the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. That's why your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally dwelling within the Christian. And that holy, the Holy Spirit is the one who connects us and unifies us to Christ. Therefore, as Christians, how we treat our body is a reflection of how we think about Christ and how we treat Christ. If you think about it, if we are unified to Christ in the Spirit, then how we treat our body is a reflection to the world who's watching what we really think about Jesus Christ. And so regarding our topic of discussion tonight, it is well known that many drugs are harmful to our bodies, right? I don't think I need to convince you of that. We've all seen the before and after photos of like the meth addicts and the cocaine addicts where they kind of go through the progression, right? Okay, I'm sure some of you have seen that on the internet. Um, we know that prolonged alcohol use can damage your liver, can affect other parts of your body. Uh, when, I, when I worked in the hospital, even as a chaplain intern, I saw a lot of people with major heart issues who were drug addicts, can destroy your heart. And even marijuana, which is often, you know, you'll often hear it said, oh, well, marijuana is not like alcohol. Marijuana is safe. It's, it's harmless. Well, the reality is, is that's not entirely true. Newer research suggests, and this is really relevant for most of you, that those who are under 25, if you smoke marijuana, you can potentially permanently damage the development of your brain. Your brain's not fully developed until you're 25, and newer research is suggesting that marijuana use before 25 can permanently degrade your, your brain function, learning ability, memory, etc., also, and here's another thing to think about, the marijuana today is not necessarily the marijuana 
of your parents' generation. I'm not saying that your parents smoked marijuana. Don't take that <laughs> the right way, okay? But as I'm sure many of you have maybe heard, I, I, for example, I just read a, a recent article of, of uh, a 16-year-old student who suffered from a fentanyl overdose because he smoked marijuana that was laced with fentanyl. And if you don't know what fentanyl it is, it is a narcotic, a super, super strong narcotic that is like 100 times stronger than morphine. Am I correct on that? Okay, 100 times stronger than morphine. Let me just give you an example of this. We used in Afghanistan fentanyl for the people that like had their legs blown off. Okay, that, that's how strong of a drug it is. And just a little bit can seriously put you into overdose very, very quickly. And if you're buying marijuana from a connection at school or somebody that you don't know, do you really know what's, what's on that marijuana, what's in that marijuana, how it was grown? You could be taking something that could kill you, even something that seems as innocent and harmless as marijuana. And so that's just one more example. I don't want to belabor that point. But as I mentioned about altering your mental status, well, let me, before I get there, just the big point is drugs are harmful, including the drugs that are deemed not harmful have harmful effects. But as I mentioned about altering your mental status, and I do want to qualify, there may be situations where it is okay or appropriate to can take to take controlled, controlled do doses of certain drugs, even drugs that might harm you. For example, God forbid you have cancer, okay? Let's pray for better treatments in the future, but one of the main treatments is chemotherapy and radiation, which are drugs that you're going to take through IVs and so forth. That stuff kills your body. Can reduce the cancer, but it will kill a lot of others. It's very, very harmful. But if that's the only treatment that's available that might prolong your days, okay, you make a, you make a decision to take that. Obviously, you know, if your legs get blown off, you take some fentanyl, right? Okay, so we understand, we understand, okay? Hopefully that never happens either. But you get the point, okay, in, in that qualification. However, that qualification aside, if we apply this second principle to our own life, we should not, we could say this, we should not consume any drug or drink that has the potential to unnecessarily harm or degrade our bodies. Principle number two. All right, principle number three. A Christian must be careful that their conduct doesn't damage their Christian testimony, especially in the eyes of unbelievers. What do I mean by this? Staying in 1 Corinthians, turn to chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 27 to 33. 27 to 33. And I'll, I'll give you all the context behind this, but let's read it first. So here, Paul writes, If one of the unbelievers invites you, and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this, meat, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I gave thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. All right, so what's going on here? In the ancient world, meat was often purchased or obtained in conjunction with animal sacrifices that took place at the temples. Sacrifices that were given in the worship of their gods. And sometimes there would even be sacrificial feasts or dinners or meals where the people would gather at the temple. They would basically do a religious ceremony or a religious service. They would sacrifice the animals, butcher them, cook the meat, and then they would all join in in this feast which was even viewed as a part of the worship of that God. And it was viewed that by doing that at the temple, you were almost like sitting at the table of that God, enjoying a meal in the presence of that God. And as we know, well, as, we, as it may be known, outside of Jerusalem, where the true temple of God, the only God's temple, was located, animals were sacrificed, of course, to false gods, to idols. And scripture associates those false gods with demons and de demonic entities. And so Christians and the faithful Jews before them, they were forbidden from participating in these sacrificial meals associated with the worship of false gods. Right? They were forbidden from partaking in that worship. It'd be like going to a mosque on Friday and worshiping Allah with, with you know, Muslim people. You know, it'd be similar to that. Christians strictly forbidden from ever doing anything of that sort. Now, in this passage here in 1 Corinthians 10, what Paul is referencing is a scenario where an unbeliever invites a Christian over to their house for dinner or to another location that's distinct from the temple. And what God through Paul is telling the Christian to do is to eat whatever the unbeliever puts in before you, even if it's likely that that meat was at some point sacrificed to idols. You know, they, they, they bought it from the market at the temple. Now they brought it back home. They've invited you over for dinner and now they're serving you this meat. And the reason Paul is saying this is because the meat by itself is harmless. Okay, by itself, it's just meat. God owns everything in the world. By itself, there's no harm done. So if the unbeliever puts it in front of you, then okay, no harm done. Just respect their hospitality and eat the meat. However, if the unbeliever informs the believer, the Christian, that it was meat sacrificed to a false god, then the believer is forbidden from eating the meat. And why? It's not because anything has changed regarding the meat. It's because the unbeliever is likely not going to understand your freedom in Christ to eat the meat. They're not going to understand those things. What I mean by that is that the unbeliever is likely to assume that if he tells you this is meat sacrificed to idols, and then you say, oh yeah, no big deal, and you have dinner with him, he, may, he or she may assume that you are endorsing their false god, that you're somehow giving an endorsement or approval to that sacrifice that took place. Now, that's not necessarily what's happening, but that's what an unbeliever may, may think, and, and understandably so. They're not, they're not going to have the, 
the, the knowledge to know what you as a Christian might know. Therefore, we could say this, for the sake of your Christian testimony toward the unbeliever, you should not eat the meat if they tell you about its source. So if you're ignorant about it, no harm, but if they do tell you for the reasons we just stated, you don't. Now, applying this idea to drugs and alcohol, here's how we could apply this. The reality is that drugs like marijuana and alcohol, and this is just the reality, even if you were to say that the other two principles don't apply, let's say hypothetically you say, I don't believe in those two principles. Well, here's the reality you do have to consider that those drugs, marijuana or alcohol or any other, they are not associated with godly Christian living, even in the mind of unbelievers. They just have those associations. Therefore, if an unbeliever sees you casually drinking or smoking weed, for example, there is a good chance that they will think that you are sinning against your God. So they're going to think, I, don't, I didn't think Christians did that. So they're going to think that you're sinning against your God, and they may judge you then as either a false Christian or as a hypocrite. And that's what we don't want. We don't want to be a stumbling block for that unbeliever to come to faith in the Lord, and we don't want them to think false things about our faith, even if they're wrong. We want to be careful that they don't have a chance to think wrongly about us and our, and our testimony. Therefore, if there's any situation where drinking or smoking has the potential to damage your Christian testimony, then the principle applied means that you shouldn't do it. You should side on, on the, the side of caution, or I don't know if I got that right. You should be cautious and, uh, and not do that. And really, we could say this, that we as Christians, we should care more about leading that person to Christ and being a good testimony than we care about enjoying a drink or any other kind of drug. That should be our thought process. So that's principle number three. Be careful that we don't damage our Christian testimony, especially to unbelievers. Principle number four, our final principle for the night, is this, a Christian must not violate their conscience or encourage others, other Christians, to violate theirs. What do I mean by that? Turn back to Romans, the letter to Romans in chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 19 to 23. So Romans 14, verses 19 to 23. And here God speaks through Paul again, saying in verse 19, So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So this passage, and really all the 14th chapter of Romans, 
gives us two interrelated principles that we will consider the two steps of this fourth and final principle in our message tonight. So two interrelated steps of this fourth and final principle. And here's the first step that we could say is this, that anything and anything a Christian does, he or she must be fully convinced before God that it is okay to do it. Which means in anything, if there is doubt in your mind that if you do that, you may be sinning and may be displeasing the Lord, then you should not do that. Even if that thing which you're doubting is actually okay in the eyes of God. Even if it is okay for you to do, if you're not confident of that and you don't have that conviction, then you shouldn't do it. So take drinking, for example. Some believers might say or may make an argument that, well, if I'm in the privacy of my own home, so I don't have a chance to damage my testimony, I'm able to keep my drinking under control. I've never been drunk and I don't become drunk. And yes, I just enjoy some occasional recreational glass of wine in the privacy of my own home. And I feel okay before God to do so. An argument may be, could be made there and they may be perfectly okay. If that same person were to be like, well, I want to have a glass of recreational wine in the privacy of my own, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be sinning before God, then right there, okay, don't do it. You need to be convinced first that what you're doing, in this regards anything, is okay before God. If you're not convinced and you do it, then it's technically sin because it's not in faith. So that's step number one. The second step, which is related to it, is this. If a person or a Christian is convinced that doing something is not a sin, if it causes another believer to stumble in their own faith, then it is a sin for the first believer to continue in that action. So thinking of our illustration here, here's an example of this. Let's say that you are one of those Christians, you're over 21, privacy of your own home, you're able to control how much you drink, you think I'm convinced that it's okay for me to have an occasional glass of wine. Okay, maybe you're fine in the right context. However, if you are hanging out with another Christian or you're in the presence of another Christian, let's say that Christian was just saved out of alcoholism or out of a partying lifestyle and they are not convinced that it's okay to drink, and if now you go ahead and you take a drink, even if it's just a small glass of wine and you don't become drunk, if you start to encourage them to violate their own convictions, where maybe they start thinking, oh, well, okay, this mature believer, it's okay for them, so maybe it's okay for me, but they're not convinced. But now because you're doing it, you convince them to do it. That's sin on your part because now you're encouraging them to stumble in their faith. Does that make sense? So we don't want to ever be the source of unnecessary temptation in another believer's life, which means that when we are around other believers, that we do have to consider how the things that we do or the things that we do, how that is affecting the believers around us. Now, as a qualification, I do want to say this. The issue is not that you may offend a person, and, and why I say that, because there are some judgmental and legalistic people in the church that are really strict on certain things. For example, they may say, it is never okay for a Christian to listen to that style of music. You know, if, it's, if it has a rock style, that's sinful, right? 
And, and they're just really hard-nosed and legalistic about that. You don't have to submit to that. You don't have to be held in bondage by a legalistic person and think, oh, I guess I can never listen to rock-styled music because this person says it's a sin. That's not the idea here. What the idea here is, is that you are not doing something that's going to lead another believer into sin themselves. So I guess, yeah, hypothetically, if somebody had the conviction that rock style music was sinful and they're debating, should I listen to this, should I not? And then you start listening to it and then they, okay, maybe that would fit, but chances are you're not gonna encounter a situation like that, right? So I do wanna make that qualification. The issue is whether you're encouraging a new or weaker believer to sin against their own conscience and conviction. That's the issue. And just to kind of summarize this principle, if there is any chance that something you are doing might lead another believer into sin, then you shouldn't do it. doesn't mean that you can never do it, but you have to be careful that you're not doing it in front of them and that you're protecting that other believer. For that is principle number four, and the reality is that this does apply majorly to alcohol and marijuana, especially these, th- this, this topic that we're talking about because you would be surprised how many former alcoholics there are in the church that were saved out of that and are very sensitive to that issue. So as we conclude, let's recap our four principles for review. One, it is sinful for Christians to unnecessarily alter their mental state. Two, it is sinful for Christians to unnecessarily degrade or harm their bodies. Three, a Christian must seek to protect their Christian testimony, especially toward unbelievers. And four, a Christian must not violate their conscience or encourage other believers to violate theirs. Four principles. Now, I know there is a lot more that we could have covered tonight, and I'm sure that many of you have additional questions or things that you're curious about. If you do, here's my encouragement to you. Save those questions. Either come up to me afterwards or save them for our group discussions on Sunday. And we will have group discussions on this topic. I'm excited. I think it'll be a really good discussion. So come Sunday with your questions and we'll be able to, to, to talk about it. And um, if you don't know anything about 420, ask your parents, okay? All right. <laughs> All right, let's pray and close this evening. Lord God, uh, we are so thankful for the opportunity to study your word and to just glean wisdom from your word and to be able to outline principles of biblical and godly living, Lord. And we just pray that you would help us apply these principles to our life, that you would give us wisdom as we encounter things like alcohol and marijuana and various drugs that we may be tempted with or presented with, Lord, that you would just help us maintain a pure and godly testimony that you would help us honor you with our, with our bodies and that we would always be a source of encouragement, not destruction toward our other fellow believers, Lord. I pray for all these students that you would just continue to bless them this week, that this last month of school would be a blessing to them and a source of encouragement to them. I pray for the adults that are here that you would be with them in their places of work and as they raise their families and 
navigate this life serving you. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.